Director of Horton. Hello friends, the Big Data Beard team is honored to welcome the Chief Technology Officer of Hortonworks, Scott Now, to our conversations about the future of modern data platforms. This week, we are also pleased to announce the winner of our little contest for a free pass to Strata Conference in San Jose, March 6th through the 8th. And the winner is Ricardo Mossinet. Congratulations, Ricardo, we will be in touch. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special discount available to our listeners who want to attend any of the Strata Data or AI conferences this year. And now... You're listening to The Big Data Beard. Hey, this is Corey Minton. We are back with another episode of the Big Data Beard podcast. And today we are recording from Hortonworks Sales and Partner Kickoff 2018 in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona at the Phoenician Resort. And we are lucky enough to have Mr. Scott Now, CTO of Hortonworks, joining us here in the Cypress Conference Room. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I can see you pulled out all the stops on the accommodations for today's podcast. It's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Yes, we're going for uh, conference boring is the theme I think that we went for uh, with a mix of Paisley. Right. Uh, and I well, think we'll focus we've... on the big issues then and here. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, joining me also, uh, co-host for today is Brett Roberts. Uh, and we are going to jump in with Scott because sales kickoff is really where, like every tech company, we bring the best and the brightest from the company leadership to come in and talk with the sales pre-sales and partner community uh, that support and lead that organization to hear what's going on, what's 2018 going to be about. But because it's the the start of the year, I kind of like to take just a second, Scott, and talk with you about 2017 and get kind of a backward view of, you know, what were some of the big things that you saw as trends or macro trends in 2017 that you thought were, you know, really prescient and that I think are going to maybe set us up in 2018? Well, 2017, I think was... Um, a great year uh, for many reasons, but on a technology front, it feels to me like two themes really crystallized that were very important for both the industry as well as Hortonworks in general, right? The first is that I think people started to really realize that big data is more than Hadoop. Um, it's more than, gee, I'm running a Spark job and all of those things. It's really about being able to capture and connect lots and lots of different data. And that means data in motion and data at rest are really important concepts for being successful in the big data space. And of course, this is something that we've been positioned for as a company and as a product stack for some time. But I really started to see a lot more realization out there of, hey, there's more to the story than just Hadoop and stored a bunch of data and running a bunch of jobs. And, and so, we're, you know, we're starting to see a lot more implementations, a lot more success stories and things kind of driven along that path. So that was, that was big for me because it was kind of a validation of what we've been doing. And it was also a good thing, not just because of us commercially and the product stack that we have, but I think really for folks to kind of put their best foot forward and not have a big piece of the story missing in the technology strategy. So, you know, the definition of modern data architecture and folks really looking at their streaming strategy as well as their data storage strategy as well as their analytics strategy kind of as an entire strategy around a modern data architecture. Um, and I started to really see that come in full force. So that was kind of one big thing. Uh, the second big thing that I saw, which, um, you know, and again, depending on 
uh, which um, analysts you read and which magazines and so on, you know, a lot of people talk about the hype of artificial intelligence anywhere from, you know, robots are going to eat us alive and there'll be no more humans or we won't have any jobs anymore or whatever, kind of at one end of the extreme to, um, hey, this is just overhyped and what the heck is, is it's really just like more math. Um, but the thing that was really interesting and crystallizing is I think the whole machine learning and artificial intelligence wave has brought with it the notion of the true value of all of this data, right? And so there have been some skeptics who've been looking at the big data craze, you know, for the past 10 years and saying, wow, big data, it's kind of interesting, but who cares, right? It's not as valuable. It's not like the ERP transactions that we had in the old BI stuff where you had very dense data, relatively speaking, um, and the density of that data created some economics, it created some value proposition and so on. And people looked at the big data space and said, yeah, you know, there's a lot of data being created, but who cares? Yeah. And the AI thing really, I think, clearly identifies, well, yeah, and, and you should care because, right? And, and so whether you're, wherever you are in the hype cycle, the way I would define it is thinking about deep learning, machine learning that drive kind of artificial intelligence applications. It's not a new concept, right? The math was invented in the 1860s or whatever. But the difference is the more data you add to these algorithms, the more accurate they become. And the more accurate these algorithms become, those algorithms can mathematically be more accurate than very sophisticated human beings. And I don't see that as a threat. I see that as an opportunity. Wouldn't you like to have a predictive model for personalized medicine telling you how to go cure your illness than a doctor who's 50 years in the industry but not quite as accurate, yeah. right? There's a huge opportunity there. So this whole thing really identifies the reason why you need a modern data architecture is because there are these applications out there that are enriched by and enhanced by and can create new business models around having more and more data and the ability to process that data efficiently and create new kinds of decision-making capabilities. And so those two things really came together, right? The realization of streaming and storage and analytics and kind of the whole modern data architecture. And, oh, by the way, there is actually a use case that is extremely high value Right. And, and hey, capturing this data actually does make sense and we're not crazy. Yeah. So one of the things I actually heard this said multiple times, read it in the press, it, you know, and it goes along with that hype cycle thing you talked about, which is so many folks, if you look at the genesis of organizations like Hortonworks and, and the development of technology, it was amazing in this early rise, but so few people really knew how to take advantage of it. And we're really, like you said, there was some at least we saw that there was some of this that invest in it without a real clear understanding of how to derive value from it. And, and there was these press folks saying like, Oh, Hadoop is dead. Like this is a dead technology. And I, and I felt like this opinion, and I'm curious if you feel the same way or feel very differently is I feel like Hadoop in the way that organizations were buying it originally, which was we need to buy technology for the sake of technology is dead, but buying a, as you described a modern data architecture feels like something that's, Maybe the, it's, it's the next instantiation of using these interesting technologies in a real way. You think that's an accurate assessment or you feel differently about it? Um, I, I'm, I'm on a parallel thread with you. Um, I don't know if I would go as far as to say Hadoop is dead because, of course, that's kind of a headline, you know, attention getter but, and all that kind of stuff. Nobody would ever do that. But <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it's like a piece of the puzzle and it's a key enabler for the modern data architecture. And 
um, I've done a piece and it's actually on our website where I talk about the data tipping point and, you know, I don't want to uh, spend 40 minutes going through all of that here, but I certainly encourage folks to take a look at it. I think the key thing that the Hadoop stack did for the world was it changed the paradigm where the old paradigm for analytics and data storage was you had to actually go define a schema and then set up an ETL and then you had to load the data and then you had to figure out what the heck is there. Mm -hmm. In the new world, that's impossible. A lot of the data is created outside of your firewall. You don't even know what it is. You don't know how it was created. It's going to change over time as sensors get reconfigured and so on. So the Hadoop stack changes that paradigm where you can actually load the data first and then go figure something out about it, right? That's the key concept. Now, whether it's, you know, this Apache project or that Apache project, whether it's, you know, open source or not, that's actually not the important thing. The important thing is we change that paradigm to make it easy to consume data very quickly. Everything else is then history and kind of accretes to what I described earlier as this modern data architecture to enable new kinds of applications. And the fact that the core technology, the core Hadoop technology, changed that paradigm and actually reversed that paradigm is what made the difference. Now, there are a bunch of analysts out there, some of whom uh, are really good friends of mine, although in, in the public domain, sometimes we spar a little bit, which makes it interesting, you know, saying Hadoop is dead. Or even uh, there was one, you know, the Hadoop vendors uh, aren't really Hadoop vendors anymore. And I would say that's absolutely true because it's not just Hadoop. It's really this modern data architecture that's enabled by Hadoop and many other things. Yeah, I would actually, I'm curious though, because it smells very similar to the evolutionary thread if you pull on a bunch of different technology companies, right? So Hadoop was the technology stack that changed the paradigm of how we deal with data and we deal with, as you said, transactions that are no longer dense and easy to put in an ERP. They're sensors, they're at the edge, they're not our data feels like a kind of a similar parallel to like what databases and Oracle did, right? Oracle started out as a database company and then you, you fast forward five, six, 10 years into their evolution and you go, are they a database company still? Yeah. You know, it's, um, uh, it's not an uncommon theme and certainly I've been in the data business for, um, longer than I should probably care. And, uh, you know, I went through kind of the data warehouse BI, uh, evolution starting in the late eighties dating myself now. And, you know, way back then, and, you know, when dinosaurs walked the earth and I was starting my career, you know, one of the cool concepts was, gee, instead of having just this big monolithic database, I can parallelize this stuff. And so, you know, by parallelizing this stuff, I can store more data than ever, like maybe even hundreds of gigabytes. Imagine that. Crazy idea. <laughs> Excuse me. And I can efficiently process that data using parallel algorithms where I can get response times that are reasonable for human thought. And so I can combine that technology in spaces where it makes sense, like telco, where telcos you know, might have a huge database and might want to do some price elasticity study or something. Anyway, so it was technology that solved the problem for a very specific, very scaled use case. And all of that morphed into what we now know as the BI landscape, which is a you know, multi-billion dollar kind of annual thing. And by the way, if you don't have a BI strategy, you're not in business anymore, right? It's, it's in every unit item. And so that whole morphing I, I see is what we've done, right? Hadoop started as, hey, we changed the paradigm. You can now store a bunch of data. This is very effective for extremely scaled organizations that have a very unique problem, yeah. like Yahoo, yeah, where exactly. we came from, right? Yep, exactly. And, and now you look at that and say, gee, that's really interesting technology, but here are all of those business use cases and solutions that you can now go solve 
with the application of this technology. And so we're morphing into a solutions kind of world instead of a tech uh, tech only kind of world. And that's a natural maturity. By the way, it, I see it happening about three or four times faster than it happened in the RDBMS time, which you would expect yeah, for you sure. know, based on the, the, the rate of pace of change. And you would also expect that based on the open source paradigm that we've adopted, where we've now got collaboration instead of, co- of competition in the space. And so um, I think that's all part of the natural process. And I would expect in three to five years, you know, you'll be talking less and less. I even talk less and less about Hadoop when I, I talk about modern data architecture. Here's how you go solve the problem and so on. And as these things, as these solutions become ubiquitous, there'll be new solutions, new names, new business models. But they're all built around that same cornerstone of differentiation of the core tech, where the core tech now enables you to do something in a very different way than you were ever able to do it before. Yeah, I, I like this idea this this term the the modern data architecture i think that's that's really interesting and I, I feel that there's a new or a renewed focus on machine learning as a way to apply it to the modern data architecture that's really validated it right and really um have has given it its legs so i think that's a cool trend in 2017 where machine learning has become more of a focus and when applied to the modern data architecture it's really you know driven it along can I can I ask you to do this for me? Can we unpack modern data architecture? Because I, I like that term, but I feel like that may be one that it could get lost on folks if they don't understand what you mean. Because I know I, I think I know what you mean from a product perspective, but help me understand at a strategic level and then at a product level, what does modern data architecture mean to you and Hortonworks? Sure, and obviously it comes around that core Hadoop yeah, enabler, sure. right? Where we where we've effectively been able to reverse the process of data acquisition and data analytics, where you can acquire and analyze versus analyze and acquire. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of the core. And the other thing I like to think about as a concept for a modern data architecture is really connected, not converged. And it's almost like we reversed the polarity in the entire industry, which I've been part of for a very long time, mm-hmm. where for 30 years, it was all about pull all of the data together into your enterprise data warehouse model the data, make it third normal form, have one copy of it, and then distribute it to everyone. So it's a converged, pull it all together. In an IoT world, that is just physically and dramatically impossible to have happen. It's just not going to happen. So we talk about here is being able to play it where it lies, being able to have data in many places, being able to have analytics that are portable and not data that's portable. All right. And so that has, again, that's, it's a reverse polarity. You're pushing process to the data instead of pulling data to the process. And so all of those concepts are really built into what I describe as required for that modern data architecture and certainly what we're building. And then, that, and by extension, because a lot of this is being driven by sensors and IoT and those kinds of applications, you're also talking about a large majority of the effectiveness of your architecture being how you actually move and capture data at the edge, in the cloud, on-prem, and how you distribute uh, applications to the point where I think modern data uh, architecture really needs to support applications running at the edge, right? So for many years, even uh, in an RDBMS-centric world, we were talking about real-time processing and stream processing. And what that typically meant was, gee, run it faster, Yeah. right? (laughs) Real-time was get it closer to when I got it. In a world where your iPhone will tell you five minutes before you're going to model build, have a heart attack, that you're about to have a heart attack and call an ambulance for you, that may sound a little bit far-fetched, but it's not unrealistic, right? 
in that world, that application can't run somewhere in a data center. It's got to run on the phone. So that means it needs to be a distributed app. It's got to have access to all of the hundreds and thousands and billions of petabytes of historical data for model building, but it's got to be able to execute that model locally at the edge or it's not real time, right? And so application architectures and data architectures that support that kind of modeling where you're capturing data at the edge, you're capturing data at the edge, you're analyzing data at the edge, you're publishing data that makes sense, to publish, you're enhancing models 100% of the time, and then you're redistributing those models back out to the edge to run locally. That's a modern data architecture. Yeah. I talk with customers a lot about the some of the use cases and challenges. IoT is obviously a very interesting one. And people get excited about like 5G technology. No, it'll make it possible for us to actually finally get the data back into the data center because they still operate under that model that... I need all the data to come back. And you don't, you don't need all of the data to come back. In fact, one of the things that I've talked about a lot in 2017 is the concept of scalability. And again, for the first 30 years of my career, scalability was, well, how many gigabytes of data do you have, right? By the way, my first data warehouse in 1989, how big was it? Kilobytes? It was the biggest in the world. How, how big was it? Uh, I don't know. 30 gig. 30 gig. 30 gig. That's huge. Immense. That is... Right. I mean, I'm impressed by your database right now. Exactly. <laughs> so, so my point is scalability has always been, you know, oh, now we're talking about petabytes and, yeah. and beyond. Okay, that's really cool. Five years from now, scalability is going to be about the amount of data that you can impact, not about the amount of data that you store centrally. So I have edge processors. I have sensors. They all have local storage, right? Can I impact? Can I connect that data without having to move all of it? that's going to be the definition of true scalability. Think about that jet engine that creates a terabyte of data all the time, every hour. And now we have 5G and satellite. Okay, great. I can transmit that terabyte of data every hour. Why? What are you going to do with it? Do you need to do that? No. What you need to do is have a model that runs locally against the data that's being created, finds exceptions, and then decides when to transmit things and or can make a local decision to improve overall safety. Yeah, I agree with that. The question, though, is, is that if I want to build a model for a jet engine that's running in thousands of airplanes around the world, where do I get the data to build that model? Because don't I have to bring some amount of that sample data back in or into my, you know, my data platform? Or your cloud or whatever. Yeah, where? It's sure. got to go somewhere. Because sure, but isn't speed. it better to do that when the plane is on the ground and connected to Wi-Fi and using cheap bandwidth? 100%. No, yeah. I, just, that's the, that, I think that's the consummate challenge that... I think people get wrapped around the axle on when they start to architect these things. It's like, it's not an, it's not an all or nothing, right? It's, it's, it's like we said before, like, it's not that Hadoop is dead. It's not, that's not, it's not that binary. It's, you still need lots of data to come back into that. You know, part of that modern data architecture is having a, the more data you have, the more accurate your model becomes. Yes. I mean, like you said, it's 1860 statistics, right? We're building math on models of large amounts of data. So we still got to get the data back, but what you're saying is we need to figure out a way to build models that are portable and that can be run at the edge, like you said, to... And can make decisions at the edge. Absolutely. That's very cool. And reprioritize data streams at the edge as well. Um, So, you know, think about the connected car case or even uh, autonomous vehicles, which seems to have everyone's imagination, including mine, right? That is the ultimate IoT application because it's got to make decisions in real time locally. There's a semi bearing down on me. What should I do? I don't want to wait for, gee, do I have a 3G signal? Let me transmit (laughs) some data. Let me run an analyst. I need to get out of the way. Well, okay. 
So being able to have that local model process, but also at the same time, gee, I found an anomaly in the data. Let me send that up for model enhancement. Let me refresh the model when, you know, when it's appropriate and so on. So those are all technologies that are being deployed today and making some of the things that we thought were science fiction actually reality. But let me send that data back for the model enhancement, not when the tractor trailer is like coming down yeah, on me, yeah. right? After it's I've after survived. everything is good, after the car is parked and everyone's out, after then I'm we'll send it back. Wi-Fi at home. Yeah, yeah, let, me, uh, let me handle that. I was talking to a friend, exa- the exact same use case, although I used a kid crossing the street. Do I really want to send the data back as someone's crossing the street in a self-driving car? Um, so yeah, no. Uh, but at the same time, when you think about the sophistication of those models, right, and even image recognition of gee, it's a semi coming, right? I know the weight. I know the relative momentum of that vehicle. I know it's turning radius. I know mine. I can actually calculate a much better outcome than a human being in a split second. Absolutely. These are huge things. Now, the fun part that gets really interesting, this is the, this is the part of autonomous cars that I think is really interesting, is the ethical question parts of it. So like, I like the question I read, I was at a conference, I think it was, um, it, it, software crash has a new connotation in that man, world. Does it does it ever. <laughs> right? so, but I, I liked the example somebody gave of, uh, I was at, a, I can't remember which conference it was one of the, it was like an IOT conference in Berlin and the guys from Porsche digital labs were talking about it because they're helping develop some of the, the autonomous driving. And they said, in, here's a question to noodle on in an autonomous car. If I push a processing off the edge, what do I tell it to do when the only two possible outcomes are kill driver or drive into a group of people? Yeah. And, and is that something that should be disclaimed to the driver when they buy said car? Cause they may not be interested in that one. Is there like a moral checklist? Like when you like you know, start the car or is it like your film, you're setting it up, yeah. you know, yeah. they ask <laughs> or you some questions kill driver or kill passenger. Yeah. yeah. I killed driver. Exactly. So they they, who gets the worst, the brunt of that, that uh, 18-wheeler that I identified has a turning radius of X. It's likely to hit this one or this one, dependent upon the action. Yeah. So anyways, this is a fun ethical question. So to come back to uh, kind of modern data architecture, I know one of the things that I see that Hortonworks is, is bringing to market and has talked about it, started out in the press sort of last year was HDP 3.0. HDP being the Hortonworks data platform, the core of the modern data architecture, if I'm, if I'm capturing this right. Tell me what's what's exciting that you're going to be talking about, both at Sales Kickoff with your team, but also for the market to hear what's coming from Hortonworks. Well, HDP 3.0 is uh, a big deal for us. Obviously, anytime you start with a new major number, we go from two point blah, blah, blah to three point. That's a big deal. Um, I think it's a big deal for our customers. Container customers um, really... Uh, strategically because it's the introduction of containerization across the Hadoop stack. And so earlier when I was talking about application portability and being able to push out to the edge and so on, you know, containerization enables a lot of things. One of the key things that it enables, obviously, is uh, better microservices and application portability. And so I think from a usability, consumability perspective, this will just be yet another uh, extension of where you see our platform deployed. Uh, one of the other features, let's say, inside of HTTP3 is erasure coding, which um, which a lot of folks have been looking for as well, which is um, enables us to store a lot more data more densely. Of course, there are some performance trade-offs when you do that, but uh, the overall savings can be huge. And 
you know, we're not talking about a 30 gigabyte database anymore, which would fit a phone. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about hundreds of petabytes or more. And so being able to make a 50% difference or more kind of uh, storage footprint uh, on, on, uh, on that will be a big deal. So I think, you know, lots more applications, lots more access to data with, uh, you know, some different commercial uh, footprints in terms of the storage footprint uh, will be really big headliners that our customers will be excited about. Yeah, erasure coding is one that we've you know we've heard about for a long time. I think um, for us that were kind of in the, the that came into this big data ecosystem, not as the <laughs> applications or database type folks, but came at it from an infrastructure perspective, that was always one that I looked at and we went, man, like if they like I get if that you HDFS could just do on. that. Right? I mean, it is. It's one of those things. It's like please, because the the problem and and it's also it's been a boon for companies to 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 deal like in, in terms of a way to sell more hardware right i mean we a lot of companies have made a lot of money because hadoop wasn't very efficient at storing data right with having replicas which is fine because its expressed intention wasn't be absolutely efficient first it was no store large amounts of data effectively so that i can <clears throat> so i can analyze it right it's design paradigms and as you said there's trade offs but the fact that that will have that now i think to me, one, that's one of those that the platform feels like it will be easier for many enterprises to adopt at a scale that maybe they, they were held back from before. Yeah, and, and it's another choice, right? And it's another choice. It's another trade-off. It's, you think about it as data temperature. And, you know, I have some, some very cold data. I'm going to do erasure coding, so I know I'm going to pay a bit of a performance penalty on read-write, but that's okay because otherwise I couldn't afford to store it anyway. Exactly. And I'm not doing it for real-time decision-making at the edge. While at the same time, I can choose more traditional storage methods for data that's a little bit warmer, or I can go completely in memory and use Spark, or I can use high LLAP for, so for high-performance kind of interactive and anywhere in between. So I don't view it as a Boolean thing, but more as just creating some more choice. And again, it kind of extends the validity of uh, and the viability of the footprint into new spaces. So the containerization support you talked about before, there is sort of a battle going on in the container space. Uh, is there a single container platform that you guys have decided to to incorporate? Is it Are you container agnostic? What's the, what's the spin on container uh, company? Uh, yeah, the goal is to be as agnostic and open as possible. Hey, the good news is that we're an open source company, so uh, you know we'll be able to use um, some of the best open frameworks that uh, are out there. Um, I don't think the container wars are completely over, and uh, and so our goal is to be as open to uh, what our customers decide to implement as we can possibly be and support that and facilitate that through integration with Yarn and some of the other core capabilities of the platform. Obviously, HDP is getting some big updates. Um, are there other parts of the, uh, the the modern data architecture, the products that Hortonworks builds to support that? Are, are there other uh, big announcements in terms of technology direction or innovations that are coming uh, across the portfolio? Well, I think the biggest thing that we launched, uh, and thanks for asking that, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is uh, what we launched in the fourth quarter of 2017, which is now behind us, Yeah, um, and that is uh, the data plane service concept. And so we talked earlier about Hadoop is dead and this and that and the other thing. Yeah. When I think about kind of the change in the business, the change in the footprint uh, that we've had even during my tenure here for the past three years, right? 
is Hadoop and the Hadoop business kind of moved from, gee, uh, we've got this HDFS and MapReduce thing that was kind of the center of gravity. When I think about, you know, what we're shipping today and what customers really look for and the value they get are the core services around security governance, multi-tenancy management, and operational support. And into which you can bring your data, you can bring your data in multiple different formats, you can use HDFS, you can use S3 and Amazon if you choose, you can you can have Hive, you can have Spark, you can have HBase, whatever, you can bring your analytic, you can write your own thing. Um, the core services become really, really important because when you think about the massive capability, but also the massive responsibility of having all of this data, you really need to have some very consistent security and governance rules, and and you need to be able to do the operational management in a seamless fashion. And so when I think about the value prop around modern data architecture and what Hortonworks bring to the table is really those core services into which we plug all of the other things and the, you know, the new shiny object du jour will be something else tomorrow, right? <laughs> um, so that's all well and good. Enter the cloud, right? So now I've got all of these cloud footprints. I've got on-prem clusters. I've got folks who can spin stuff up in the cloud. Um, and I want to be able to understand my perimeter, even though my perimeter now extends outside of my data center. I want to have constant and consistent security and governance rules. And when I say governance, what I really mean is where did the data come from? Who had access to it? What did they do? And where did it go? Yeah, true governance and stewardship. Provenance. Yeah, there you true go. True Where did it come from? Yeah. Audit, lineage. It, right, all those kinds yeah. of things. So we're able now with data plane services to, to kind of pull those core services out of a cluster and make them a cloud service that accesses all of their data and all of their clusters, whether they're on-prem or in the cloud. And enforcing the policies back into And enforce all of those policies and the provenance and all of those kinds of things. So it's a really interesting concept. I think it becomes a way for customers to really get into the cloud with and understand that they're able to bring with everything that they've built around the security and the provenance out into the cloud and understand and keep track of where those assets are and how they're being used. That's a really, really good thing. It enables customers to be cloud agnostic uh, based on price, based on performance, based on corporate standard, whatever. I can go over here. I can go over there. True application portability through data plane services. You can guarantee that your implementation, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, is the same versions of software. So you'll have application portability, be yeah, able to automatically provision and deprovision. Yeah. So this is a whole new, um, a whole new way to look at managing, uh, managing data over those disparate footprints. And remember back, I said, you know, it's not about converged, it's about connected. Right in a connected world, which is inherently more complicated, and you've got data assets all over the place, being able to have a consistent way to understand, to find, and to keep track of those assets, regardless of where those assets are, in a very consistent and enforced approach, I think is a very valuable thing. And so uh, we launched Data Plane Services uh, in the fourth quarter. You'll see us coming in 2018 with more instantiations of the Data Plane Services the way I think about it is there are the core data plane services that I described that I think are extremely valuable. If you're uh, a Hortonworks customer, you know, go deploy data plane, great. Um, I also view it almost like 
iOS and App Store because now data plane services having access and mappings to all of your data and your data assets along with the governance and security, why not be able to plug applications into that and now those applications can have access to data wherever the data are stored anywhere in this infrastructure as opposed to having a different set of applications in each one of your footprints. And so uh, the first um, application asset that we launched with data plane services is Data Lifecycle Manager. Data Lifecycle Manager does uh, backup, recovery, data copy, replication groups, kind of data lifecycle management. It's uh, important stuff, though, because that hasn't been typically something that was super germane and like it. It was hard to do. It was hard to it do hard in the Hadoop. And that was one of the things that like enterprise IT practitioners, you know, the folks that were responsible for running clusters that were that they'd run all the other uh, enterprise applications in, a, in an environment, they would look at it and go, wait, what do we do for DR and how do we back this thing up? And granted, there's. There's reasons for and against each of those, but that's one of those that I think that's a huge boon for you guys in terms of adoption. The MNO stack is big, but one thing I will say that you've said it a couple of times, and I don't want to pull on this thread. I feel like you, you, data plane is is a, is almost a requirement now, partially because one of the things you said was data assets, right? I've got assets all over the place. Would it is it a fair assessment to also say that those could be called data liabilities? Like if we don't have proper security and governance and that audit and lineage, I, I, we can probably find enough stories to <laughs> to scare the crap out of them. Yeah. So so there are a couple of things, right? There's an ease of use, uh, keeping keeping track of uh, assets and so on. So that that's the good side, right? The flip side is this is all coming to a head this year with GDPR being implemented, and GDPR is important not just because of the far-reaching requirements, but also the penalty phase which can be quite extreme. So, you know, think about GDPR. Do you want to go implement a GDPR independent solution that where you're just paying a cost and so on, or do you just want to build it into your modern data architecture where you've already got provenance, so you know where it came from, where it went, where it exists, you, you know what your boundaries are, and therefore you can be compliant in a very seamless fashion. So I think, so there certainly is that aspect to it as well. I think the other aspect, and this this is one of the 2018 predictions that I wrote about recently online, um, is you know cloud is a huge asset, but also potentially a huge liability, or is it too much of a good thing? <laughs> and when I think about it, I think about uh, a, a person I know in the industry has been a customer of mine for a long time, and we were talking about kind of the evolution, right? And he goes, you know. Um, you came in and you sold me this enterprise data warehouse because I was going to save money, right? I was going to get rid of all these data marts. I'm going to put it in one place. I'm going to have a single version of the truth. I'm going to save some money. I'm going to do better analytics. Life is going to be good. He said, so I did that. And I got a lot of benefit out of the EDW, but you know what? I never actually unplugged any of those data marts, right? So, so now <laughs> I'm kind creative. of double paying. You know, now, <clears throat> of course, the upside was was the enhanced analytics he was able to get. He said, then all of a sudden this data lake thing came along and so I built the data lake and, and, and that's really great because now because of the, the paradigm around Hadoop, I can actually capture data that I wouldn't have captured before in this native form. I can create new analytics and all that, but I've also still got an EDW and I've still got data marts and now my users are going to go to the cloud. And so now there's no longer any adult supervision because you know what? For the EDW and the data lake, I had to go to capital committee. I had to go buy a bunch of stuff. And so at, Enterprise least, IT put their at, security. at least there was some ROI, yeah. right? 
with the cloud, any 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 person with a credit card and a need can just go spin stuff up willy-nilly. And it's going to be very hard for me to manage and control that. So when you think about the value proposition around data plane services and at least being able to create that standard footprint and create that provenance, at least you'll be able to measure and track what's being done, right? At the same time, you know, through those services, be able to measure the utilization rates and, hey, do I need this instance or not? And so, you know, giving, uh, giving some level of balance of power, as it were, in a cloud world, I think becomes interesting. Because cloud, I know how it is with data, right? People get consumed by data. They get hooked on data. They get hooked on analytics. And it's like entropy. It only goes one direction. Yep. And that's really, that's really hard even in a normal data center world, let alone a cloud world where it's seemingly boundless. And it is a multi-cloud world now, right? And it's right. a multi-cloud world. Yeah, and that's the that's one of the things that we've recognized. Because I, I, one of the things you're you're pulling on there is like, IT generally when it was on premises, we deployed it in our enterprise IT. Generally, we were a little better at, like you said, securing it, and making sure that we had those features <clears throat> in that multi-cloud world. You knew where harder. the fence was. Yeah, and exactly. You could see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now sometimes it wasn't secured as well as it should have been, and that's there it happens, bad. but. I think, and, and candidly, the cloud. Whenever you say the cloud, I think I think if cloud is an operating pl operating model, less of a place. But when you go to a public cloud provider, you can still do dumb stuff. <laughs> like, and if you don't have a uh, some sort of a governance tool that can help you manage doing dumb stuff, the cloud, however secure Amazon tries to make their services or Google Cloud Platform makes their services. You can still have administrators, humans. The obviously we've talked about this before. The 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 weakest link in this whole chain is the human. We can make bad decisions. So that's good that that tool is going to uh, going to extend into that 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 new world of multi cloud. Yeah, you're really only as secure as uh, the person clicking the button, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the butts in the seats. So out of curiosity, so obviously modern data architecture, big trend. We've talked about a last, or excuse me, um, the data plane service is helping uh, extend the capabilities to a, a multi-cloud hybrid world, solve some of the governance and compliance challenges. Um, what about on the streaming side? Because I know HDF was a big part of the modern data platform. Is, is there anything happening with HDF this year that we should be paying attention to? Uh, well, there's a whole lot going on in that space, and thanks for reminding me <laughs> to bring that up. <laughs> you know, um, I did say this was your show. <laughs> thank you very much. So, yeah, HDF, we continue to invest very heavily. You know, I mentioned last year there was a big aha moment in our customer install base, and certainly through the results that we published so far uh, for 2017, we've talked about kind of the increased take rate of HDF as people started to realize, hey, this is like – as big as storing data is how do I capture it, touch it, manage the flow, those kinds of things. So our approach in this space is that we look at it as data in motion. And for us, that includes streaming as well as data flow and kind of everywhere in between. So uh, you saw us invest very heavily in um, enabling application development with Streaming Analytics Manager that we uh, launched. So you'll see us with some additional upgrades and uh, enhancements to that in 2018, as well as continuing to integrate from an operational and data provenance perspective and make that seamless, right? Uh, so schema registry was our first instantiation of that, again, uh, released last year, and you'll see us move the ball forward as we uh, continue to invest in that, as well as um, um, integration of things like schema registry and Apache Atlas and you know some of the other uh, governance models to make provenance even easier and more seamless. 
and I think again, it would it would be um, even though it's a discrete set of products that is different that we that we uh, bundle separately because they have separate use cases and separate needs. Uh, I think over time you'll see kind of a blurring of the lines where it'll just almost look like one big thing, yeah. right? Around that revolves around those kind of key core services in a data plane centric kind of world. Yeah. So one of the things we talked about with uh, Alan Gates on a previous episode was that Hortonworks, obviously this you know great product company developing some very interesting products to solve interesting gaps in the enterprise adoption of a modern data platform. That's very cool. One of the things he said, and I've heard you talk about it a lot, is really around solving customer use case, right? That was your kind of thing from 2017 is like, hey, we're really getting this this ROI, this this real achievement of we're using it properly to solve real customer problems. So I'm curious, coming out of 17, was there like, what was your favorite like customer story or was there a customer like vertical that was the most interesting to you? Well, you know, there were a lot of customer stories that I found very interesting, you know, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll date myself again and talk about kind of history repeating itself. Um, in the early nineties, I remember a bunch of industry analysts running around saying, um, 80% of EDWs fail, right? <laughs> um, and gee, what was a highlight of the analyst reports last year, right? 80% of big data projects, yeah. uh, are unsuccessful. Okay. Whatever. My point is that, um, Obviously, we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't think it was this important if we weren't solving real production problems for customers. So one of the things that I personally have issue with is a bunch of analysts running around kind of scaring the world like they did in the 90s. And look what happened, right? It became this multi-billion dollar thing and uh, kind of everybody's doing it and successful and table stakes. So I think we're kind of on the cusp of that happening in our space. And so it's really important. The flip side is, you know, there are a lot of customers who are doing things with our tech and with big data that are very breakthrough that they're using to build new business models to be more competitive. So the last thing they want to do is actually go talk about it. It's crazy. And tell it? everybody else, hey, this is what we're doing, right? Yeah, By the way, hush, hush. I'm going to remind some people of this because like that's one of those things that is, as practitioners in this space – one, if you're a customer and you're trying to find out what other customers are doing, like if you go to the conferences, it's really hard to get them to talk about it. And then if you're a, a provider in this space, I'm sure the Hortonworks sales teams deals with this. I know that a lot of IT, you know, say, you know, sales and pre-sales teams deal with this. The customers go, hey, tell me what your other three customers just like me are doing with your technology. And you go, why would they do that? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Uh, or can't. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. There's legal reasons why they can't. Yeah, I'm just really glad to hear yeah. someone in your so, position So we're kind of in that, that conundrum thing. right now. It'll This too shall pass. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not entirely worried about it. But, um, of course, I'm I'm any anytime I find someone who will talk about something publicly is like, yes, please, let's go do it. Yeah. And and we want, we want to foster that environment uh, and accelerate it. You know, there was... Um, there was a white paper and a blog published uh, by Geisinger Health uh, earlier this year that I found particularly interesting and rewarding because they named names and talked about what they did and talked about the success and how they were able to you know work with their business. There were um, there's um, a utility in the UK called Centrica, uh, similar thing. They've done some use cases, spoken at our conferences and other conferences about what they were able to do, leveraging big data technology. 
Uh, and so those use cases are starting to show up, and and I find that extremely rewarding. Uh, I put the shout out uh, to them. You know, they're in the public domain, and obviously, I would encourage folks to look at HortonWorks.com. Any any time a customer gives us permission to talk about what they're doing, we're going to put it out there uh, as well, just because it's like really important. Um, but there are, you know, I can tell. Oh, not just because I run around the world talking with customers and prospects as my role as CTO, but also because I have our support organization as part of my team. And I can tell just from our support calls and the intensity of what our customers are asking us to help them with um, that we're seeing a, a huge rush to production and production use cases, meaning business processes are depending on this technology. Um, and I see that as extremely encouraging and and frankly, I I will debate till the last of my breath those industry analysts that say big data is failing, Hadoop has failed, or uh, big data projects are not in production because it's just not what I'm seeing. Yeah, no, it's definitely way. not the case. Uh, so DataWorks Summit coming up, a couple of shows globally uh, in 2018. DataWorks Summit? Never heard of it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Never heard of it. You guys are obviously a big part of that. Any preview you can, you can give the audience, anything you can talk about, what what Hortworks is going to be talking about, maybe what you're going to be talking about in any of these shows, anything you can tease out there for us? Um, it's going to be great. Always is. The, um, you know, first off, you know, we, it, we've rebranded to DataWorks Summit from Hadoop Summit, which gets to the earlier conversation we had of, you know, it's, it's modern data architecture much more than Hadoop. It's about the data and what you can do with the data and how data works. Get it? Mm -hmm. DataWorks Summit. Um, you'll see us focus on customer use case examples and uh, and really letting our customers have the driver's seat in terms of describing and discussing and talking about and articulating what they're doing. Of course, in each of those venues, we'll have some additional product updates. Um, I don't want to say too much more um, because then you won't tune in. There you go. Let me ask you a quick question. If uh, If folks wanted to find you on social... Uh, are you on the Twitter? I am on the Twitter. And uh, do you I'm have any your hashtag? Scott underscore now. Uh, yes, I'm starting a hashtag. Um, I am from San Diego, and I am particularly perturbed and insulted. You might see that the uh, NFL football team was allowed to move to Los Angeles. So I have a hashtag campaign called hashtag Dean is an ass, uh, focused on the owners of the now L.A. Chargers, who left uh, after making billions of dollars out of the San Diego community over 40 years to L.A. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so we're going to follow you on Twitter. I'm assuming we'll see you at the DataWorks Summit. You might see me at the DataWorks Summit, Excellent. perhaps, if I'm invited. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, Scott, we've had a blast chatting with you. It's great to get your trends, kind of where you, where you see uh, 2017 brought us to now and what's ahead of us. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. We're not done yet? No, we're not done. So hang on. It's just it's a few quick questions. And what I want you to do is sit back, relax, and just kind of say the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these questions, okay? It won't hurt. We'll be easy on you. Or maybe you be easy on us. Yeah, Dean is an ass. That's Dean is an ass. <laughs> Hashtag. All right. So what year do you think Skynet will go online? I don't know. <laughs> okay. If you bought me a book, what would it be? Ooh. Hmm. 
or maybe best book you read in 2017. <laughs> I didn't have time to read. I was busy building product and talking to customers. <laughs> That's all right. Come on. No, it's probably with some of the tipping point stuff, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, what genre of music are you uh, currently into? Wow. I went to see Willie Nelson night before last. Awesome. Although I don't like country music. Yeah, but Willie's... I happen to find talented it. musicians everywhere. Uh, very entertaining. That's awesome. Literally, we had a guest uh, guest on a show. You're, I think you're the only two people that have said like the same artist, which is awesome. Way to go, Willie. Um, and I, So let's go to the next one. What is your favorite piece of just utterly useless or goofy technology? My favorite... Useless technology is the windshield wipers in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy. I live in San Diego. Oh, that's it, awesome. It, once, and I mean, once a month, once a year. No, no, well, no. <laughs> here's the thing: they're heard. way over-engineered, and every time you turn them on and off, when they come to a rest, it'll flip halfway so that every other time it'll rest on the opposite side of the rubber blade. Oh goodness! In San Diego, where it never rains, and I actually never turn them on. Nice. What is your biggest money pit right now? Personal money pit. My biggest personal money pit? Uh -huh. um, it's either my wife or my dog or perhaps the two of them combined. Family. Got it. Okay. And are you going anywhere really interesting or cool soon? I will be in Mumbai in four days, and that's always cool and interesting. It is. India is super fun. Uh, and then are you binging on any particular show right now? Uh, like on your flight to Mumbai, are you going to be rocking any Netflix downloads? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've watched all of the ones that I wanted to, uh, binge out on. I would say I'm really looking forward to the new season of Homeland. Oh, excellent. All right. Which will not be available in time for my 24 hour flight. to uh, Mumbai. <laughs> so you just got to rewatch all the uh, previous seasons. There you go. We'll load up. Well, Scott, it's been super fun to have you on. We really appreciate it. Scott now, again, from uh, Horton Works, here at uh, Horton Works Sales Kickoff for 2018. Thanks again, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Big Data Beard Podcast. As a thank you, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount to attend O'Reilly's Stratadata or AI conferences. Use the link in our show notes to register or promo code PCBEARD at checkout. And tune in to future episodes for a chance to win free passes to these amazing conferences. It would also be pretty cool if you reviewed us in your favorite podcast app. It really does help. Thanks for listening.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Big Data Beard Podcast. As a thank you for listening to our show, we'd like to offer you a chance to win a free pass to Strata Conference in San Jose, March 6th through the 8th of 2018. To enter, all you need to do is either subscribe to our mailing list at bigdatabeard.com forward slash follow, or submit a review in iTunes rating our podcast. Or you can do both and be entered for two chances to win. We will hold a random drawing in early January and make the announcement of the winner by January 31st. And don't forget, you can get a 20% discount to attend any of O'Reilly's Strata Data or AI conferences globally. Simply use the link in our show notes or promo code PCBEARD at checkout. And tune in to future episodes for chances to win free passes to these awesome conferences. Thanks for listening, and let that beard grow.